Okay, since the first time I'm getting to know that it's good to have support tickets as well. So, so yes. when, when I started off at train, right? Because we we support teams to reduce the number of support tickets by educating customers, right? So I was thinking that okay, no customers uh, tickets means it's a good thing. But this is a completely different thing I learned. Actually, sometimes it's a bad thing. Okay. Sometimes your best trained customers submit more tickets because if if a customer is not submitting tickets, there's a chance they're not using the product. Hmm. Okay. Makes sense again. <laughs> Makes sense again. Yeah. So yeah, I want to first start off by asking you. Uh, so people have a lot of different definitions for customer education. right now when i tell people that i work in a customer education space they ask me what that is what would be the simplest definition that you can give oh man okay so i i this is a big part of our mission statement when in my previous role that i created for our department i guess if i were to define it it would be to create scalable programs that can help our customers access and maximize and get the most value out of our platform. There are caveats to that, of course. A lot of customer education programs are um prospect facing, so a lot of programs help drive drive sales and drive growth. Um I would even say scalable could be if he, if um like at my company we were also we had an enterprise program. and so we had we were a highly complex configurable solution and so we had some customers who were paying a little more money than our other customers to get a lot of configurations a lot of special workflows and we would train them one off so the scalable piece is tricky but i think at our core is <laughs> to create scalable programming to help our customers get the most out of our platform and essentially be better at their jobs everyone welcome to the very first episode of the train podcast i'm your host akash anil and i'm absolutely thrilled to have monica sindwani thank you board. so much i'm i'm excited to be your first episode that's really exciting i remember starting my first program and i was just so lost i remember just like scouring the internet trying to figure out what to do because there's no standardization just yet on how we define ourselves as a department i was like product training customer training customer education <laughs> and like all this stuff was coming up and i remember yeah i remember those times so i i hope my story can be helpful so let's just without any further delay let's get into what you did when you were at agencyc you told me that you scaled customer education from 0 to 1 and that's and then that's a yeah. huge feat right you said what was it from seed to unicorn yes so when i started at agencyc it would we had our seed funding um so we were not yet 
um, a series A or a series B startup. And in my three years, I was actually the 26th employee at this company. Um, it, Agent Sync is a insurance infrastructure product. So, um, right. I, I, I don't know if this translates globally, but it's very in this, in the United States insure, like, um, uh, being able to sell and sell insurance is very complex. There are lots of complex rules. Each state has having its own set of complex rules. Our system um, baked into the, baked into those rules into our platform so that you could apply for and renew your insurance licenses and be able to sell different types of insurance products. And so this is like a really, really complex um, thing in the States. And so we um, were able to simplify that. And so when I started, I was a 26 employee, we were seed funding. And by the time I left Asian Sync, we had 200 employees. We recently had our Series B extension and, and we were a unicorn. It was crazy. It was like, we were like getting too many customers. We're like, oh my gosh. Okay. Um, so it was a really crazy time of hyper growth. So I get what you're saying. You're saying that, okay, since it's an insurance product, the complexity associated with driving value also increases, right? So people right. people find it tough to use your product. Would you say that? Um, so how about I say this? It was a very powerful product. When I first started, customers found it tough to use. By the time I left, customers found it less tough to use, but their questions really evolved. And I think this really speaks to the program. But when I first started, they found it very tough to use. By the time I left, they were asking questions about how to use it better. They were saying that they understand how to use it, but they felt that they were scratching the surface and they were really relying upon us to help them get the most out of the product. Okay, that, that makes sense. Yes, that makes sense. So how did it start off? Like, I'm assuming there has to be a trigger point for any program to start, irrespective of whether it's a customer education program or for example, take the podcast that we're doing right now, there has to be a trigger point. So what triggered you to actually start this program? Yeah, so prior to my role at Agentsync, I had a career in education. I was a teacher. And then um, after teaching, I was in nonprofit. And then I had just um, been at the University of Colorado Boulder for five years prior to my role at Asian Sync. And one of the reasons that I was hired outside of, um, it's a, if the product sits on Salesforce and I have my Salesforce admin certificate. So outside of that, they were interested in me because I was a teacher. And they were like, we have this, um, this help center, like this documentation portal. Maybe one thing you can do is like fix it up. And so I started the role and I was starting to get my feet wet. And I was noticing, cause I actually started in customer success. And at that time, it's such a small company. Customer success is a mix of account management and support tickets. And so when I was answering these support tickets, one thing that I noticed was that we were losing a lot of time answering the same questions over and over. And there wasn't really a culture of sharing the documentation portal. I went into the documentation portal and it was essentially like a collection of user guides and documents that were written internally that they were hoping to use externally. There wasn't really much of an architecture about it. I remember my boss at the time told me he just like made it one weekend. <laughs> he was like, okay. I think we need a help center. Um, and so he kind of tasked me with making it better. And, and it wasn't, 
a priority. It was a back burner task, kind of like mm. just something to do when you have time. But I felt that if I invested time in it and really kind of built it out, it could really help us. And so the first thing I did was I was in the queue and I wasn't starting to notice what questions I was answering over and over. And to me, I felt, and, and this is something that I share when other people ask me, um, where should they start? I feel like your support queue, your like ticketing solution is the best um, data set that you have. Because a lot of companies that are in this pre-seed series A, series B, I, w- I, I would call them like low data environments. Like we didn't okay. yet set up like a really ro- the robust infrastructure that we have now okay. for analytics, um, customer health. And so at that time, tickets was my best data set. And so what okay. I did was I pulled all of the tickets that we got that year. Um, it was like a thousand tickets. And then I actually sat for a day. I think it, I, I spent a day and then I ended up, um, when I do this project again, now it takes me about a week. Um, but I sat for a day and I literally read every ticket. Now, if I were to do it again, so everyone who's listening, um, this is what I would do differently. I would take a baseline and make that a case reason. I would say before I did this, the last six months, we got 100 questions on this. Okay. And then I would make an outreach plan and maybe say, and this is actually, this is funny. I was, I was just talking to the person who's um, taking over the department and, and what he's doing is he's taking those case reasons. So still a similar process. Okay. And he's taking the top five cases that we're getting the top five buckets and he's making little videos on each. Okay. Um, to like walk through how to navigate. And so what, we were talking about is we're going to put it, you know, like every time you submit a ticket, you get a ticket, you get an email in response saying like, thank you for submitting your ticket. We're looking at it. We'll get back to you. He's going to add that link to say like, take a look at this page of videos and see if your answer is, if the answer to your question is in here. So he's actually going to take it one step further where he's making videos on each of these big buckets. Um, So if I were to do this again, I would get a baseline and be like, okay, we got like, a hundred questions on this. I created this resource. This is how I'm going to market this resource. We're going to put it in everyone's email signature. We're going to share it every time someone has a question. When, um, when we meet a new client, we're going to give this to them. And then in two months, we're going to see if the number goes down. So that's what I would do a little bit differently, but I was really able to like that case analysis still to this day was my number one way of really getting a pulse of what's going on. Okay. So so just to recap, you said case analysis in the sense, you look at the number of support tickets coming, right? Yes. And then you put them into buckets. Mm-hmm. Correct. And, and you noticed a particular pattern that was sliding in. You know, what's funny is I actually was able to look at it because I still have my drive. They haven't closed it yet, but okay. they were like, 10 10 ish buckets okay 10 buckets. and then yeah go on and with yeah and within those 10 buckets maybe they would be like two to three articles okay okay and and those were all help articles right and you hosted them where exactly a knowledge base or 
Yes. So when I first started, you know, I inherited a tech stack and I had Salesforce help center as part of our tech stack. Um, uh, we eventually moved to HubSpot okay. um, as our, as our um, help center. And, and the reason I like HubSpot was because it was our marketing solution. Oh, and so I was able to get a little bit more analytics. Got it. I hear a lot of people really like Zendesk, um, but we started with um, Salesforce communities, which mm. I would say as a new program, as you're looking for a knowledge base, definitely look for one that's like a no code solution. Cause that was the hardest thing for us with Salesforce communities was we didn't have the resources to have any like a H HTML support. So it was really nice to move to HubSpot. That was a no code solution. So, uh, what type of training content actually resonated with your audience? You said now uh, written documents is something that you scaled a lot. Did you, did you mix? Did you use videos? Did you use webinars or something like that? Did you try different types of content? Yes. Um, so the first, so the help center was really like kind of like the first leg. Okay. And then at, once we got the health center off the ground and we were able to see a little bit more movement and this health center, all the articles also have like either videos or we have interactive walkthroughs. Um, in the past, we were like a little hesitant to use videos in the beginning because okay. our orgs are so configurable that we were worried that people were going to feel like watching the video, they weren't really getting what they needed, but like, or they're like, my org looks so different, but that actually wasn't the case. We just had to caveat every video in the beginning and say, your org might look a little bit different, but these are the steps. And, and okay. our customers actually really prefer that visual element. Um, and so that really helped with like concrete questions, but of course, like not every question is concrete. So the next step, one of the other buckets was reporting and analytics. That is kind of a skill you have to develop. And so my next step was I wanted to do a webinar because webinar content is really easy to iterate quickly. You get like mm -hmm. a nice little event, you get a big bang. And so what I did for reporting was then I actually did a lot of interviews with people at our company. So different customer success managers, implementation team, support team. And I asked them questions like, what questions do you get over and over about reporting? Okay. What are your customers most excited about when you show them reports? <laughs> what are they most intimidated about? Okay. What concepts are you explaining over and over again? And what, um, what can I take off your plate? And so that with the case analysis, I was really able to get a good sense. And then from there, I created a webinar. Webinars are always, I would say the best way to engage customers. Like, I think we get like, even to this day, our webinars are probably the most viewed. Um, and you get like a nice surge of participation. Okay. But the thing about webinars too is they're the most passive. So you don't actually know if like they're participating. Um, yeah, makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. So webinars yeah. is a good way for us to kind of gauge participation mm. um, and really teach like a big skill. And then I would okay. say after webinars, our e-learning is number two, like our academy courses. Um, and the ones that do really well are like heavy video-based micro courses. We try to keep them like 10 minutes or shorter. Okay. Um, and then help documentation, we try to add video there, but 
the funny thing about help docs is I think they're really utilized by our developer audiences or are really like, you know, cause we sit on Salesforce, we have a lot of Salesforce administrators, Salesforce developers, Salesforce architects. They actually prefer the docs. And we've, okay. we've seen this across the board that more technical audiences want docs. So, so to just get this right, right. I'm going to go back a little bit. You said help articles and then you straight off went to webinars, correct? Yes. And mm -hmm. those webinars, um, you, you mentioned micro learning videos as well. Yeah, that was phase three. So phase one was my help center. Okay. And then we added video, I guess we added videos to our help center as much as we could um, to walk through different processes. And then step two was webinars. And the webinars was really our proof of concept. Um, when I left AgentSync, actually like my first webinar I ever did was a reporting and dashboards webinar. Okay. And to this day, that same exact webinar is still our most popular webinar. Okay. Um, and that was like really my easy win because I sent an email out. I sent two or three emails about this webinar and I was like, oh my God, I'm so nervous. I hope nobody comes. <laughs> okay, yeah. 60% of our customer base showed up. Like they did not only signed up, but they showed up to this <laughs> webinar. That's a huge number. 60% is was, a huge number, yeah. It was huge. I was like, there are so many people here. My, my company was like, you got, you're like a influencer now. <laughs> Yeah, it's true because I've heard about 10%, 20%, 60% is a huge number. For and I didn't, I did like very little like marketing. It was just that like, I think the hunger was there. And that is the most fun thing about bringing a program from zero to one is that people get excited because they don't expect anything. And so they're like, oh, they're doing a webinar. And um, that was such a good opportunity for me to also show the company that customer education has legs because we had such a high attendance rate. It was very well received. Mm. And if I could do this again, so everyone who's listening, <laughs> don't do this. I should have pulled the number of tickets or got a gauge from the CSMs, what questions they're getting around reporting and the volume of questions, and then saw if there was a reduction there. Okay. Because then I could have really proven it, like the comp the um, program had legs. But at that time, it that webinar really kind of changed how our company thought about customer success and thought about customer education. Because they were like, "You are able to train sixty percent of our customer base in an hour. Hmm. If we were to have our CSMs and our support team do it, this would take like eighty ninety hours hmm. of meeting sense. it." so so the takeaway that i see here from what you just now mentioned one is that you were able to prove to your senior leadership that customer education has a lot of meat in it and the second thing is that uh, you repeatedly mentioned the fact that it's important to not just do activities but at the same time document the you know document the results associated with these activities right so is it is it a reduction in support tickets or anything else? Correct. So that's exactly. Okay. Yeah. And I would say for a starting company, I always love starting with the tickets. Um, okay. I know that some small companies don't have a culture of sending in tickets. I think we did a really good job where it was like, if someone has a question, make sure they send it through the queue. Um, okay. If you don't have that at your company, 
then I would recommend doing a needs analysis by talking to your customer success managers and your implementation managers and your support managers. And I would do a pre-survey. Um, just that's what I would do if I did not have tickets because eventually I couldn't rely on the tickets so much. And that's what we started to do was a lot of pre and post survey. Okay. So now, now I'm, I'm going back to level one. If there aren't any support tickets, do you think this is a requirement of customer education in the first place? I think they're at, so there will always be support tickets. Okay. I wonder if there are no support tickets because that company may not yet have a culture okay. of submitting tickets. I think oh. we, as our company grew, we are always quite disciplined on support tickets. But as our company grew, our discipline grew more okay. because in a, in a small company, when they're 25 people, everyone's like running around trying to keep the ship afloat. It's so easy yeah. for a customer to email you individually and say, can you help sure. me with this? Sure. And then you email them back. Um, and so when I started using the tickets really heavily and it became, a, and not just me, but I was like one voice of many where it became like something that we really wanted as a metric across the org, then the discipline around support tickets got better. So I think there will always be support tickets, but you might need to encourage the company to have more discipline around the support tickets. So for example, if customer success managers are just answering emails, um, you can let them know. And, and you know, in, in the beginning, it's hard to, like in a small company, sometimes it's hard to get buy-in for the program because it's easier to just train. Got but yeah. when you help people out and you say like, hey, I noticed you're spending a lot of time doing this. I can help you out. Then you can have that secondary conversation of saying, hey, every time you get an email, can you forward it to the case queue and answer there? So I have this data point. Um, because oh. that was, I mean, like the discipline around support tickets got a lot better as I was there. We've always been fairly disciplined. But we definitely have some success managers or implementation managers that weren't sending tickets through the queue. Okay. 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 So it's very important to have an open two-way communication. That's what basically translates into getting support tickets, right? Exactly.